Welcome to Dig Deep. Well, thank you for being here for our first official Wednesday episode of the podcast. I am so grateful that you're listening. I hope you've had a wonderful, wonderful summer and that you are gearing up for fall. It still seems really strange to me that we are plunging headlong into fall because at least where I live, it's still really, really hot outside and it feels like we should be at the pool instead of at the bus stop. But nevertheless, the bus stop is where we were on Monday morning. My older two are both in school now as a second grader and kindergartner, and we sent them both off on the bus on Monday morning. And preparing for this experience of sending now two of my children off to school has brought back a wave of memories of two years ago when I sent my oldest off to kindergarten for the first time. And that morning, I woke up early. I, like most moms who are putting a kindergartner on the bus for the first time, felt a little bit of excitement, but mostly a ton of anxiety and fear and pit in my stomach kind of emotions. And so I sat down with the Bible and turned to a familiar passage that I was hoping would bring me comfort and peace. And it's in Matthew chapter 6. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the passage. It starts in verse 31. And Jesus is telling us not to be worried. He says, don't worry about what you'll eat or drink or what you'll wear. Um, Seek the kingdom above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. And I think I was hoping that reading this familiar, wonderful, comforting passage from Jesus would be like taking a Xanax or something. I think I thought I could swallow the words like I could swallow a pill and that it would make me feel better, but it did not make me feel better. It didn't make me feel better at all. And I had to go before God in prayer and bring my concerns to him and just say, look, Lord, here are the things that I am anxious about. Here are the things that I am afraid of. What should I do with these feelings? I'm bringing them to you show me how to think about this day. And when I opened my eyes, my eyes were immediately drawn to another passage of scripture that was on the same two pages that were open before me. I was reading from Matthew chapter 6, but my eyes were drawn to Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 14, where Jesus says, "'You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket.' Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And reading those words, for some reason, brought a flood of peace. And I felt God impress upon me that the very best thing that I can pray for for my children is that they get a chance to participate with Him in shining the light of his love and his truth in this world. And so today, we are kicking off a new series called Shine. And one of the things that has struck me about this passage, as I've reflected on those memories from two years ago and on the words of these verses in preparing for this week of sending now two of my little ones off to school, something that has really struck me is that Jesus is talking about the power of light. And light, of course, is a theme that we see throughout all of Scripture. But what Jesus is emphasizing here is that it's possible to maximize or minimize your light. 
He's drawing the comparison that a city that is strategically placed on a hill versus a city that is placed down low in a valley is going to be visible to more or less people. And a lamp that's held up high in the house is going to spread its light to more people than a lamp that's placed on the ground or worse than it's covered with a basket or a bowl. He's teaching us that light can be maximized or minimized. And so our goal in this series is to ask the question, how can I maximize the impact of Jesus's light in my life to the world around me? How can I maximize that impact? And so to start the series, we have to look back at the source of this light. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says of himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, who follow him, we know that that is true, that Jesus walks with us. He illuminates the path before us. He brings his light into every broken corner of our lives, showing us the way forward in our marriages, in our broken relationships, in our troubled finances, in our fear of the future, in our fear of death, in our fear of what is after death. Jesus brings light into the darkness and shows us the way forward to the light of life. But then Jesus here in Matthew 5 takes that even further. He's already said of himself that he is the light of the world. And here he says, you, my followers, you are the light of the world. And so it's true that he is the light of the world. And he wants to use us who follow him to be an extension of that light to the world around us. And he says in Matthew 5, that like a city that's placed on a hill or a lamp that's raised up on a stand that spreads its light farther, so we as his followers should be strategic about the lives that we've been given. So we're going to talk in this series about what it means to shine his light in the world, what that can look like practically. We're going to talk through some of those things. But today we're going to kick off this series by asking the question, what is my hill? How well do I know my hill? Because if it's possible to maximize or minimize our impact, then we need to start thinking strategically about the lives that we've been given. Have you ever experienced the phenomenon of autopilot? It's a very weird, strange sensation where you are driving somewhere, somewhere familiar, and when you get there, you realize you have absolutely zero memory of the journey from point A to point B, that it is such a familiar route that you literally did not need to use your brain at all to get from here to there? Well, I have that experience all the time. When I was in college, I worked with children with autism. And over one summer, I worked with one particular little boy who I absolutely adored. He was only about five years old. And as some individuals with autism do, he had a savant capability, an incredible specialized ability to do something. And his ability was to be able to memorize routes and maps and have an incredible sense of direction. When we'd be out driving to any particular location, 
If he had been there before, he would be able to describe the entire route to me before we would leave. He would say, we're going to drive on 29 North and then take exit 20A for 175 East. I mean, he would include every turn, street name, exit number along our entire route for the day. And while we'd be out, his eyes would be glued out the window, taking in the scenery, memorizing every route, every turn. Now, contrast that with me, a grown woman who literally does not know a single exit number of any of the exits I regularly take. I mean, if you take them regularly, what's the point, I guess? I was giving directions to somebody to our house and told them the exit to take, told them the street name. And they said, well, what's the exit number? And I said, I honestly have no idea. I mean, this is an exit that I take virtually every day and I don't know the exit number. Why do I share that? Because I believe it's possible to know something so well that you cease to really know it. It's possible to become so familiar with a route that you go on autopilot. And our lives are so busy and so efficient and often so routine that we can go through the motions without ever really opening our eyes to what's around us. If someone were to ask you today, what type of flowers are in bloom along the highway that you drove on your commute this morning, would you know? And while that detail certainly is not important, the same is true of all the routes and pathways that make up the hills that you and I live on, the hill that Jesus is instructing us to shine upon. So how well do you really know your hill? Because what I'm realizing is that I live a lot of my life going through the motions, getting through the day, and often ignoring what just seem like necessary commutes between destinations. And I'm excited that we're doing this series now in the fall because fall tends to be a time when brand new paths are being carved in our lives. It's a new school year, maybe for you, maybe for your kids. You're making new friends. Maybe you're joining a new team or a new club or a new small group at your church. And these are all new pathways, new patterns in your life. And we have the opportunity to ask, what is my hill? And to not go into autopilot. What is my hill? There's a story in scripture that's honestly kind of strange, but it's an awesome story. It's one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. It's found in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26, and we read about a man named Philip. He was a follower of Jesus, and he gets sort of a weird assignment from the Lord. It says in verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. It makes the point of telling us that the road from Jerusalem to Gaza was a desert place. It was anything but the scenic route. It was the perfect route to go on autopilot. You weren't going to miss much. And so Philip is obedient. And what happens to him on this road is incredible. If you read the passage, Philip is walking along the road and he sees a man in a chariot. And it says the Spirit of the Lord prompts him to go over and talk to the man. And when he goes over, he realizes that the man is an Ethiopian official, a man who works for the queen of Ethiopia. And he happens to be reading the Old Testament. And so Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? 
And the man says, no, I I need someone to explain it to me. Can you explain it to me? And so for a time, Philip gets into his chariot and they talk through the scriptures together. And we read in verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, the one the man was reading in the book of Isaiah, he told him the good news about Jesus. And what's really incredible is we read next that as they're going along, they pass a body of water and the man says, look, here's some water. Stop the chariot. What prevents me from being baptized right now? And so they get out of the chariot and they go down to the water and Philip baptizes this Ethiopian official. And what makes me really step back in confusion and where this passage gets really strange is that after the man is baptized, it says that when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more, but he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And then it goes on to say where he traveled from there. And what strikes me is he gets this call from God saying, I want you to go down south. I want you to go from Jerusalem down to Gaza. There's a road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so in my mind, I would say, okay, God wants me to go to Gaza. He just told me he wants me to take the road from Jerusalem down to Gaza. And that's where he's on his way going. When he meets this man, has this incredible experience, is able to share the light of Jesus with him, The man gives his life to Jesus, accepting the gift of his grace, is baptized on the spot, and then Philip is somehow mysteriously swept up and taken to a completely different city called Azotus. He never got to Gaza at all. And when I think about my life, I tend to think about it through destinations. I think about it through the big, significant milestones, the things that seem important to me. I certainly do not spend much time thinking about the mundane. And if I were Philip and an angel told me to go on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza, I would think about Jerusalem and I would think about Gaza and I wouldn't think much about the desert road between the two destinations. But that was part of Philip's hill. That was part of his life, a place where God wanted to intersect his path with someone else's at a really strategic time in a really strategic way to shine his light through Philip into this man's life who was asking questions. What is your hill? Because I'm beginning to realize that there are things in my life that I don't think about as my hill that are probably my hill. Standing at the bus stop with my kids is my hill. My neighborhood is my hill. My gym is my hill. My office is my hill. The sideline at my kid's soccer game is my hill. My vacation spot is my hill. The little things of life, like tucking my kids into bed and standing in line at the grocery store or sitting in the break room at the office are my hill. The things that I do so routinely that I could do them in my sleep are a part of this life that God has given me, and I think he wants me to treat them as such, as valid, opportune 
areas of my life. When I was in college, I had the pretty common experience of each semester showing up and looking at my class schedule and trying to get an idea of what my route would be on every given day. Okay, on my Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, I'm going to go from this class to that class to lunch to that class. Same on Tuesday, Thursdays. And over the first couple of weeks, you know, you figure out your pattern, your routine, your paths that you take from class to class. Well, one particular semester, I was getting used to this routine, and I noticed one day at one of my Monday, Wednesday, Friday classes that the girl who was sitting in front of me in the first class was then walking about 20 feet in front of me on seemingly the same path toward her next class. Well, sure enough, we walked all the way across campus in the same direction. We walked into the same building. We walked to the same floor of the same building, and eventually into the same room of the same building. And so I realized very quickly, we have back-to-back classes, and we travel the same path in between these two classes. Well, I didn't think much of that, and I continued to travel that path the way that I often did if I didn't have friends around, which was to put headphones on and listen to my disc man Yes, because it was before the days of the iPod. feels weird even saying that, but I love my Discman, man. And I would listen to it from class to class if I wasn't walking with friends. Well, one day I felt a prompting. I don't know if it was from God or the Holy Spirit or what, but a prompting to go and introduce myself to this girl. So I took my headphones off and caught up with her on the walk and Even though I'm normally a very outgoing person, I was nervous for some reason. I thought she would think I was super weird to go up and introduce myself and say, hey, it seems like we are walking the same way, like some sort of weird stalker creeper. But I did, and I said, hey, it seems like we have classes back to back and seem to walk this path every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And she said, yeah, I've noticed the same thing. So I said, my name's Jess. How you doing? And she said, I'm Annie. Nice to meet you. So it became sort of our routine to walk that path together on Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, most weeks. And during that time, we started to get to know each other a little bit. We just found out about each other's families, told her about my family growing up. She told me about her siblings and about how her parents had gotten divorced when she was little. So we grew a little closer in our conversations. We started talking about our lives and the things we were involved in on campus. I told her that I was in the dance company and that I went to Crew, Campus Crusade for Christ, and she told me about the things she was involved in. And at some point, it became natural for me to invite her to come check out Crew, and she told me she wasn't really interested in that. But it led to more conversations about why I went to Crew and what I believed, and I had the opportunity to ask her some questions about what she believed, and she shared things about her perception of God and of church growing up. Well, that was pretty much the extent of our relationship. We shared that one walk to and from class together, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, for about half of a semester. And then it was in the middle of that semester when she received the horrible news that her father had died tragically. And so... I had one last opportunity to give her a hug. I had never given her a hug before. Told her I'd be praying for her. I had never told her I'd be praying for her before. And then she withdrew from her classes and packed up and moved home to be with her family in New Jersey. And that was the last time I ever saw her. But it was a year and a half later, after I had graduated from college and was married and living with my husband, when I got an email that read, 
Hi, Jess. I don't know if you remember me, but we walked to and from class a few semesters ago in college, and I wanted to let you know that after I moved back to New Jersey, my path crossed with another Christian who was a lot like you, someone who told me about their experiences with Jesus, what they believed about him, and how he had changed their life. And I wanted to let you know that I've accepted the gift of his grace, that I've decided to become a follower of Jesus, and I got baptized. And I realized I still had your email somewhere, and I just had to let you know. Love, Annie. And I sat back with tears in my eyes, so grateful to have been given just a glimpse of the strange ways that our God works. Because as far as I knew, she was gone, and I never would see her again. That our paths intersected only for a brief time and didn't seem to yield any fruit that I was aware of. But it was that experience that reminded me that God loves to use the in-between. He loves to use the desert roads, the times when seemingly for no reason our paths cross with someone else. And in this particular case, I would never have known that she eventually met Jesus and gave her life to him if she hadn't happened to still have my email address and have the opportunity to tell me. But that's how our God works. And after your path intersects with someone, God's going to continue to intersect their path with his love and his light through other people and through other ways as he continues to draw all of creation to himself to compel people with his love. And that is the light that we get to be a part of when we choose to follow Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm sure you can look back over your life and think of the people whose paths intersected with your life. The people who had a light about them and it drew your eyes and made you ask questions the people who came alongside you in your life as you made the decision to follow Jesus. I know I can think of those people in my life. And so if you are now a follower of Jesus, you are a vessel for his light in this dark world. You are a bright city that exists on a hill, a lamp that's meant to be kept on its stand. How well do you know your hill? Your church alone is not your hill. Your particular ministry is not your hill. Your whole life is your hill. From the things that seem significant to the things that seem mundane, they are part of your hill and they are places where God wants his light to shine through you. I believe every inch of our lives is spiritual. It's not compartmentalized. We can't say, this is my church time, and this is my God time, and this is the time I spend on everything else. 
your whole life is your hill and having a clear picture of that hill, of your life, with all of its pathways, the significant, the mundane, the in-between, having a clear picture is the first step toward maximizing the radiance of his light in our lives. So over the next couple weeks, we are going to talk about what it looks like to share our light, how we can practically let our light shine to the world around us. But today, I simply want you to ask the question, What is my hill? Write it on a post-it note and put it on your computer today at work. Write it in your journal and reflect on the answer. Ask the question again and again, what is my hill? And ask God to kick you out of autopilot and help you to open your eyes to see the world around you that so desperately needs his light. Thanks so much for listening. I look forward to seeing you back next week as we continue this series, Shine. Shine.